Hello and welcome to Hey, Remember the 80s? I'm Joe. And I'm Carrie. Remember, we're not professional podcasters or music critics, and we won't let a little kiss or two fool us while we're talking about 80s music. Yeah, don't even try it. Mm. Welcome, Carrie. Thank you, Joe. Welcome to you. Welcome to any new listeners or loyal listeners. We found some in China Grove, North Carolina, Hastings, Nebraska, and Hanoi, Vietnam. Hello. Hi to them and everyone else. We've got a Facebook. It's facebook.com slash HRT80S. We also have X slash Twitter and Blue Sky. And one day we'll figure out how to use those effectively. But for now, this is what you it can. is. <laughs> I'm not. Carrie, happy Thanksgiving. I know it's late when this episode comes out, but we're recording on Thanksgiving morning. We are. Thank you, Joe, very much for that. I'm very thankful for you and for this podcast and for the listeners, uh, loyal listeners of this podcast. And I'm also very thankful for David, our producer, who edits the podcasts. And um, I was thinking about that this morning and how much I appreciate everything that he does for us. That's really nice. <laughs> I will echo your sentiments about everything you just said 100%. Yes. Also on the holiday tip, Joe... We have to say happy birthday to you. Oh, thank you. We'll have passed uh, when the listeners are hearing this, but two days from now is your birthday. And I wish I could be with you on your birthday, but we were just together last weekend. So that's fine. And we celebrated a little bit. We did celebrate a lot, but. What are you going to be doing on your birthday, Joe? Because I know it's 80s related. Well, we have tickets to see the Tina Turner musical, which is coming to the Fox Theater in St. Louis. And I get to see the matinee show with my husband, David, and that's how we're going to spend my birthday. Amazing. So I'm very excited. Yes. I can't wait to hear how the Tina musical is. I'm hoping to get tickets. It's coming near me, I think, sometime in the spring. So tickets aren't on sale yet, but I have my eye open for when they do. All right. Well, I won't spoil anything uh, <laughs> when I see it. Maybe we'll save it for a tidbit in the future after you've seen it, but... One tidbit we can expound on today is the Darker Waves Festival. This is going to be a big morsel. No, morsels are less than tidbits. What's bigger than tidbits? <laughs> we should have written it down. I know we've talked about it. We have something that's even bigger than a tidbit because the morsel is TM Lady B. She came up with that. But anyways, yes, as we told you, we did a whole preview episode, the last episode you heard. We went to the Darker Waves Festival in Huntington Beach, California. Took place last Saturday. Got there about noon-ish, I think. The acts that were at the beginning of the day were more recent acts that we weren't super familiar with, so we didn't catch a lot of them, but we saw a group called Blossoms. Blossoms might sound familiar to you because this is the group that has been performing in England with Rick Astley doing Smith's covers. And so there was lots of rumors that maybe Rick Astley would appear with them at this festival. Joe, did that happen? It did not. Uh, <laughs> I even was tricked by a post. Someone had a picture of Rick Astley near a beach, and they're like, Rick posted this last night, and he's in Huntington Beach. And then someone was like, that picture's nine years old. But you know what? He doesn't age, so I couldn't tell. You know, I was yeah. like, oh, he's here. Great. 
I know. I thought there was a possibility that he might show up. And I think a lot of people were there to see Blossoms just in case he did. But they were great. I really enjoyed them, actually. I want to seek out their music and listen to them. I thought you were more familiar with their music that day because I didn't know anything about them other than what we talked about with Rick Astley. I was very surprised. I thought they sounded great and they reminded me of Phoenix. I like them a lot. Yeah, I thought they were great. They were given a good performance. It was fun. And so we had some hard choices to make with the lineups. So we did not see the Chameleons or Clan of Zymox, who we covered in our preview, because they were on the other main stage. There was three stages. One was kind of a side stage, but there was two main stages that had the big acts at them, and they were at different ends of the beach. So if you wanted to go from one stage to the other, it it would take about five to ten minutes to walk down to the other end. And these set times, they were not fooling around. (laughs) Yeah, they were very tight. They were firm. Yeah, we had a pretty good spot for Blossoms, so we just let it ride for the next few acts, right? And it worked out very well, but it was very Mm -hmm. much a case of if we're here in this spot, we're not going to waste 10 minutes walking down to catch the end of another act and then walk back and catch the end of another act. So right after Blossoms, we saw the English beat, and they were great. Well, I was in line for a beer. And missed the first song, but you were there and there was some issues. Yeah, you know, it was unfortunate. They came out and, you know, everyone screamed and I could see them on the video screen performing, but I heard nothing. It was like the TV was on, but someone had it on mute. (laughs) And that continued for about two minutes. And then suddenly the sound was on, but Dave Wakeling's microphone was not on. So you only heard the backup singers who were very good. Uh Uh-huh. Then when he realized what was going on, he traded mics with Dave Wakeling and was like, everyone, this is the king, Dave Wakeling, he's the man, and everyone cheered. And then you were able to hear him sing, and he sounded great, so the crowd got even more hype for that. I'm trying to remember. They played a lot of the big hits. I mean, they played Mirror in the Bathroom. They played um, Save It for Later. Oh, they played Tenderness, which is, you know, a general public song, but that's the one that really got my heart. I was like, oh my gosh. I think it was unexpected. Uh-huh. People were really going nuts for that. And it was it sounded really good, too. So, yes. Yeah, so then we had to miss X. They were playing on the opposite stage. But we stuck around after the English beat to see OMD. They came out. He said, we're going to have a great set. We're going to play you 10 singles. And they did. Every single song was a song you knew They were amazing. I think they were the best act of the day, honestly. Your MVPs, OMD? Yeah, I think so. I could see that, yeah. I mean, I was happy to see them. I was happy they were there. I I knew I was going to be there for their performance, but I didn't expect to enjoy it as much as I Mm -hmm. did. And that was a great feeling. (laughs) Yeah, they were awesome. Every time a new song started, I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. And even deeper cuts from OMD, there were even songs that surprised me where I was like, oh, my gosh, yeah, I forgot that this was OMD. Mm -hmm. And then after them was Violent Femmes. Yes. This is where the set times threw me off because no one comes out and, like, introduces the bands. The bands just come out suddenly, you know, and they come out very quickly after the last band. 
I was actually in line for the bathroom and something started and it was like, what is this? Who is this? And it was Violent Femmes and they were playing. They started with Blister in the Sun. I think I came back from the bathroom and said to you, I thought it was just a guitar tech like messing around (laughs) because it was just so bizarre. There was no intro, not even a, hey, we're Violent Femmes, you know, or anything like that. And then that they would start with like arguably their biggest song. It just threw me off in a big way. That was a surprise to me as well. That sounds like a perfect combination of things to throw you off. The screen showed the band name when they Ah, came out, but I still even had questions. I was like, (laughs) is this him singing? But you know, what's crazy is after that moment, after that, we got recombobulated. I thought he sounded so good. I thought he sounded just like he does on the records. Oh, yeah. His voice hasn't changed at all. And then later he said, I didn't pick up on it until he said they were playing their first album in order. I did not know that either. It was the anniversary of their debut album. So that's why they played Blister in the Sun first, because it's the first track on the album. So they were great. But we did have to leave there a little early. This is where we had to walk over to the other stage because over there was... Oh, my God, the Cardigans. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) The Cardigans played at the other stage. So that was the act that got us to make the trek. Between the two stages at first, um, we had a decent spot. No one expected that we were going to like try to climb up to the front of any of these performances, no, right? Yeah. We're old and we, <laughs> wherever we were at was fine with us, for sure. I thought we had a good spot for Cardigans. Mm-hmm. Never seen them. Been a fan since the 90s. They came out and their first song was a cover of Guns N' Roses' Sweet Child of Mine, which I thought was funny. Uh, I thought they sounded good. They did a tight set. Everyone sounded great. Nina sounded great. I don't even think I told you this, but their guitarist, original guitarist, was not performing with them. Oh, I did not know that. Did we ever talk about how he became a songwriter and he co-wrote songs like Carly Rae Jepsen's I Really Like You? I think maybe you told me that one time, yeah. The Weeknd, maybe, Can't Feel My Face. Oh my gosh. Yeah, he's written some some big hits. So I feel like he probably doesn't need the money. (laughs) I guess so, yeah. And the guitarist they had, he was great. I thought everyone just sounded amazing. They definitely did not disappoint. I was excited to see them. I enjoy the Cardigans very much. Obviously, not as much as Superfan Joe, but they were even better than (laughs) I expected. And they played great songs, a lot of songs that I was surprised I knew and recognized just from listening to them kind of over the years. And Nina Persons' stage presence was so amazing to me. Just the way she was on stage and she was giving performance with all the songs. Like she wasn't just singing. She was mm-hmm. like giving Standing performance. There singing, yeah. Yes. Moving. Yeah. It really impressed uh, me. Yeah, I felt it deeply. I would go see them again in a heartbeat. So you're a new Cardiff fan. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Yay. And then so this is where it gets kind of dicey because we wanted to try to go to the merch too at this time because it was soft sell on one stage and who was on the other stage? She wants revenge. Probably, yeah. We thought this was our best bet to try to get merch and we fell down a rabbit hole where Dave and I were trying to get food and ended up standing in a bunch of different lines that went nowhere and Joe went to the merch line and stood there for how long do you think you were in that merch line for? All I know is it was nighttime but <laughs> when all was said and done. I know. 
I know for real. It was. It was it was light out when we walked away from Soft Cell. And we could still hear Soft Cell where we were. We just weren't standing in front of the stage. And then suddenly <laughs> when we met back up, it was dark. I would say probably 60 to 90 minutes was how long I was in that line. And when I got to the front, there was no Cardigans merch. They didn't have any. Yeah, it was like Darker Waves merch and then individual bands had brought merch as well. Yeah, the Cardigans didn't have any. That really stunk for you. I'm sorry that you stood in that line. But you did kindly buy me a hoodie, a Darker Waves hoodie as well, and um, you got one, so now we have matching hoodies. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And we got uh, very good burgers and fries that Dave and I ate hot, and you had to eat cold. (laughs) It still tasted good, I will tell you that (laughs) much. I I know. And we had hot churros later. That was also a nice treat. Oh, yeah. Those churros were really good. So during this time, this spilled over into the next block of acts, which was Echo and the Bunnymen and the Psychedelic Furs on opposite stages. I had planned to see Echo and the Bunnymen because I've seen the Psychedelic Furs many times. And we should say the night before, Echo and the Bunnymen had a separate Darker Waves branded pre-show Everyone got to the venue, sat in their seats, and like at showtime, they came out and said, sorry, the show is canceled due to illness. So everyone was speculating all day long, Echo and the Bunnymen isn't going to show up, period. They're going to put a replacement act on, all this different stuff. About 20 minutes after they were supposed to start, they came out and they didn't sound good, folks. (laughs) I mean... I don't know if Ian McCullough was actually ill or what's happening, but it was such a bummer to like spend time waiting for them and then have them come out and be so disappointing. And at a certain point, we were like, well, we're obviously got to go over to Psychedelic Furs and catch the end of them because this Echo and the Bunnymen show is like nothing. Did you see what we missed? I don't think this is going to upset you, but Echo and the Bunnymen did bring out Robbie Krieger of The Doors to play for a bit. So people, I guess, were excited for that. (laughs) (laughs) I think he produced one of their earliest albums. Uh, I wonder if he played with X earlier in the day because he produced their early albums, too. I think I mentioned this this week. I didn't really hear anyone talk about X. Yeah. Like either the day of or, you know, on Twitter afterwards. Mm-hmm. I didn't hear much about their set. Uh, so I'm curious how it went. I don't know. It was weird. But we did catch the end of Psychedelic Furs at this stage where Psychedelic Furs were at. And then the next act that we're going to talk about. It was either a combination of something had gone really wrong with the sound. Or we just were not close enough to hear well. But the sound was very bad could hardly hear the vocals or the music. It seemed to go in and out. So we saw the furs, but didn't really hear much. Have you seen this where people have been talking about the furs performance? Where they said we missed the saxophones? Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't tell you whether or not Mars Williams was at Darker Waves performing with the furs because like I said, I just couldn't see or connect But then Mars Williams, who is the great saxophonist for that band, passed away two days later. 
articles about his passing mentioned that he had just performed with them two days earlier at Darker Waves. And then everyone was like, he wasn't there, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. I don't know if he was or not. I do know that even though he has been ill, he has continued to perform with the band because he wanted to do that until he couldn't anymore. So I don't know what the real story is. Variety magazine reports that he had done his final dates with the band in October. Okay. Very sad. I was upset about hearing that because I love his work with the Furs. Did you know that he played with the waitresses? And that's his, he's playing the horns on Christmas wrapping. Oh, yeah, I didn't put two and two together. That that was him on that song. But I, I had seen that he played for both. Thought that was really cool. Combined with, I think, the end of the Furs and the beginning of the B-52s, we missed Devo on the other stage. Which, Oh, no, we missed Devo when they were playing they against were the against Cardigans. They were against Cardigans. So we didn't see Devo. That was a bummer, but I'm very happy that we saw the Cardigans. After the Furs was the B-52s, and they were amazing, but again, sound problems. I just couldn't hear them very well. But it was fun. I enjoyed them very much. I hope I get to see them someday in a setting where I can actually hear them better. (laughs) I mean, they were supposed to have already retired and done their final shows, I thought. I know. I know. So if I only saw them here, that's fine. One thing I didn't mention in the last week, I wanted to remind you of the festival goer that was near us at the B-52s dressed in a lobster costume. That was so fun. I didn't see that person at all until they started playing Rock Lobster. And then I think they ran from where they were behind us and like were then near us dancing around. And that was fun. Yeah, I'm glad he knew that it was playing and he ran up. Could you imagine wearing that all day and then missing (laughs) the song? I do have some great video of him dancing along to the song. You can tell he's just like, I've waited so long for this moment. (laughs) Amazing. Okay, so then after B-52's New Order had started on the other stage, we couldn't get any closer than like very far away. But we just kind of sat in the sand away from the crowd and listened. We listened for 15, 20 minutes. I think they had already been playing for quite a while because they crossed over with B-52's a lot. And then we just kind of made the decision. We had had enough. (laughs) It was a lot. And Tears for Fears was going to start, but we both had seen Tears for Fears this year. And so we made a group decision to pack it up for the day. I think we made it home by 10. So I think we made a good decision because we beat the crowds trying to get out of there and get out of the parking situation and get out. So we did Mm -hmm. good. I will just say right up front, I am an old person. I feel it in my bones. Like, I'm just not made for something like this. And I didn't pace myself earlier in the day. And so I'm very glad that we saw all those great acts earlier in the day. I mean, the English Beat, OMD, Violent Femmes, the Cardigans. I mean, that was worth it completely. And those were perfect shows, perfect places that we were standing, perfect everyone. It wasn't too crowded yet. Like people weren't pushing in or anything like that. I thought I was festival people. (laughs) I mean, I would have considered myself festival people. I'd been to many and I enjoy them a lot. I mean, I guess since it's my birthday coming up, (laughs) I'm 
I'll be 45. I guess yeah. it does get harder once you get older. I'm not even really that old yet. Why? Why, God, why? <laughs> but I want to say that I loved the setting. I don't think I've been to a festival that was on the beach, and I loved it. I mean, the weather was great. Yeah. We got the sun. We thought it was going to rain, and thank goodness it missed us. There were some cloudy moments, but overall, it was just a beautiful, beautiful setting. Loved seeing the ocean. I would do it again, even though I think as we were getting home that day, I was like, I'll never do this again. (laughs) Because I was at my lowest point. I was at my most tired. I was exhausted. Uh, Do I wish we had seen some of the bands that we talked about? Yes. But I know Mm -hmm. you can't see everyone at a festival like this that you Mm -hmm. want to. I, I just don't think it's possible. If it is, you miss it on some of the other things that are fun to experience. So I think we did it good. I'm happy with everyone that we saw. I also enjoyed the setting. You know, there was lots of people complaining about it after the fact. And, oh, why did we have to walk between stages? It's like, they can't set the stages right next to each other. I mean, I don't know. It's like, what? If we do this again in the future, I think we have some good experience to draw on. The acts that we saw were absolutely 100% amazing and worth it. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Well, that was more than a tidbit, more than whatever we've come up with before. (laughs) But I think people wanted to hear that. I was happy to talk about it. So there you go. We do have a main segment and we've got to reset a little bit here because it is a bit of a somber topic. We're going to talk about World AIDS Day. And it's another great suggestion from our friend Dom. And the 80s were a time for fun, but there was also a very serious health crisis happening, which was largely ignored in the U.S. in the early part of the decade. And that resulted in the loss of so many vibrant lives, including great musicians we have talked about on this podcast, like Dan Hartman and Sylvester. In 1988, the World Health Organization established World AIDS Day to highlight those who were living with HIV and those who had lost their lives to HIV and AIDS. As Dom said in his note to us about this topic, however, music had been referencing HIV and AIDS well before 1988 and would continue to do so. We are going to talk about some of the music and the musicians that were trying to bring this disease to light while others wanted it hidden away. And no, we are not going to talk about That's What Friends Are For, although Dom says, and I agree, I think you do too, Joe, that we have to give Dion and friends props for being some of the first folks to acknowledge what was happening. Yep, 100% agree. I think about all the times it showed up on American Top 40. I'm sure Casey was referencing, you know, what the proceeds from that Mm -hmm. single were going to. I mean, I've heard him mention it on multiple countdowns. So the fact that he was on that nationally syndicated program talking about it, you know, it gets people's at least their awareness up. Yes. We're going to start with icon, legend, and tireless crusader against HIV and AIDS, Miss Cindy Lauper. You probably know that the title track to her second album, True Colors, has become an anthem for the gay community over the years. Cindy didn't actually have anything to do with writing that song. It was the only original track on the album that Cindy didn't have a hand in writing. It came from the famous team of Billy Steinberg and Tom Kelly. Cindy first heard it shortly after the death of her good friend Gregory from AIDS in 1985. The song made her think of him, and she decided to sing the song in that quiet, whispering manner, like she was telling him it was all going to be okay. Show me a smile, then. Don't be unhappy, can remember when? 
Steinberg acknowledged that Cindy came up with a very creative departure from how the demo was put together. It was originally pitched to Anne Murray, but he says Cindy's changes gave the song life, and more than any other song he and Tom Kelly ever wrote, he says this is one with the most appeal. That's a big accomplishment. They wrote a lot of songs. Yeah. Yeah. They did. It spent two weeks at number one on the Hot 100, and it earned Cindy a Grammy nomination for Best Pop Female Vocal, but she lost to Barbra Streisand for some Broadway album. I mean, that's just silly in and of itself. The category is Best Pop Female Vocal, and Barbra Streisand is winning for her Broadway album. I don't yeah, think so. Yeah, I know. There's so many questions I have there. But True Colors... This is a song that if you had asked me like five years ago, I would have been like, eh, I don't like it. Exactly. I know exactly (laughs) where you're going because I'm I'm there too. Too trite turned into something way different than I think it was intended with those Kodak ads and all this stuff. But I 100% have come back around on it. I love it now. And I love hearing this story behind it. And I love that it's become an anthem for certain people. And yeah, I adore it. And obviously adore Cindy Lauper. Every time I'm putting together a Pride playlist every year, you know, I look through some suggestions and other playlists and anthems. And this True Colors is always at the top of it. And I love that for Cindy and for us. <laughs> yes. I don't know if I'd ever heard this particular thing about she made this very specific choice to sing this way. She was singing to someone to tell them it was going to be okay. I just love that. It breaks my heart. We got to find the original demo. Oh, my gosh. I'm sure there's lots of different versions out there. Over the years, as True Colors became tied to the rainbow flag and became an anthem for the LGBTQ plus community at large, Cindy embraced that. In 2008, she founded a nonprofit named the True Colors Fund, which helps homeless LGBTQ kids. Gregory had been kicked out of his house when he was 12 for being gay. And True Colors was not the only song on that album that memorialized her friend. Cindy wrote a song specifically for him called Boy Blue. She says that Gregory really liked the song, That's What Friends Are For, and he would have loved for her to do a song like that. The album version was remixed and released as the fourth single from True Colors, and all of the proceeds were donated to AIDS charities. The song only made it to number 71 on the Hot 100 in the summer of 1987, and Cindy later performed the song live as part of her concert video, Cindy Lauper in Paris, and that version was included as the B-side to her single the next year from the movie Vibes. She says of singing the song live every night, it was so hard, I was so angry, and every night I would sing my guts out, but you'd open your eyes after and it was the same. But sometimes, in a lot of ways, it was healing. Ugh, 
Cindy Lauper. She's, I mean, she's just so, I don't know, just the way she talks about her music and and her passion for advocacy. I just love her so much. What do you think about this song, Joe? I love it. I thought it was really good. I'm shocked it didn't do better on the charts. And I did listen to the live version that you put in the outline here. And I was afraid, you know, she would not be able to hit some of those notes. But it was like a masterclass in singing. Dom said of this one specifically that he was baffled as to how it missed the top 40. And then he pointed us to the live video and said she sounded amazing and that I love that Cindy wrote a tribute to her friend who had passed and instead of producing a maudlin tune, it gave us a total bop. Yes, which I agree with all yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I meant to ask you to reread the section of Cindy's book about this because we've talked about Cindy's biography on the podcast before because you read it and then you loaned it to me. And I read it and gave it back to you. So that's why I was going to have you look at it again. But I remember when you were reading it for the first time and you said that you got to this part about this song and her friend Gregory and you said it gave you chills. Mm-hmm. It's crazy the extent to which she has, you know, beyond this song, the proceeds from the single, like she created a whole charity that addresses an issue that her friend dealt with. Like she just has done so much beyond just mourning a friend. Like she's taken real action steps. And I just, I just really love that so much. Yeah. And the song is great. It is. There's just not a bad thing. I don't think you can say about Cindy Lauper as a mm-hmm. person. <laughs> yes. I know that, you know, her music's maybe not for everybody and she probably mm-hmm. has her share of critics, but the way she lives her life, I feel is just an inspiration. And if you don't like Cindy Lauper, then I will fight you. You don't like us. <laughs> kidding. <laughs> well, we're on to the group Book of Love and their 1988 single, Pretty Boys and Pretty Girls. We covered this band and their song, I Touch Roses, back in episode 194. Pretty Boys and Pretty Girls was from their second studio album, and it was released as a single in May of 1988. It explicitly referenced safe sex. Uh, just listen to the lyrics in this clip. It became the band's only single to hit the pop chart, but it peaked just at number 90. Over on the dance chart, it made it all the way to number 5. The B-side was a cover of Mike Oldfield's Tubular Bells, better known as the theme from The Exorcist. On the album, Tubular Bells leads into Pretty Boys and Pretty Girls. And for the 12-inch single, the two songs were mixed together into a 14-minute medley version. To which I say, no song needs to be 14 minutes. Uh, <laughs> it's funny because I was going to put a clip and then I listened to it and like I couldn't even pull a clip that made any sense. Like, I don't know. It was just nonsense. First, I'll say what Dom said that he had never heard of this song until he started looking for songs on this topic. 
and then says, how did I live without it? And he loves the Exorcist theme opening. Um, I don't like this singer's voice. I don't like her monotone. I like some of their other songs just fine, but listening to this one over and over this week after the third time and then after listening to that 14-minute thing, I was like, nope. Yeah, you did too much. Yeah. (laughs) You don't like the way that she sings the word girls in the chorus where it's like there's another syllable in front of it. She's always like, "Mm, girls. (laughs) I mean, at least she's doing something unique, I'll say, but I'm done with this one. It's not for me. Lyrics aside, I thought it sounded pretty, like, chill. And I was like, Mm -hmm. I like this. Um, I knew it was in the playlist for this reason and for this topic. So I was like, oh, no, you know, what's this song going to be about? I liked the music, maybe a tiny bit repetitive, but I didn't mind it. As always, you know, we can only look at this stuff through the lens of history. You know, it's, it's just the way it is. But, you know, this, like in the Wikipedia, talks about this being one of the first songs to, like, talk about AIDS or safe sex. All they say is sex can be dangerous and I don't take my chances. Safe sex, safe sex. I'm like, that was enough to be controversial or, oh, my God, someone even just said the words safe sex and they are pioneering the way to talk about AIDS. I mean, I get it in retrospect, but also, like... It's not that much. (laughs) You know what I'm trying to say? Right. I know. Because songs today, right? I guess in retrospect, like I said, I can't fault them because they could only go so far. They could have been more strident in talking about these issues, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yes, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Well, here is a song that I have never heard of that is right on the nose for this topic. It's called Uh Uh No No. Casual Sex by Carrie McDowell. And I hear you shouting who out there. And the answer is she was a child star that appeared on The Tonight Show and the Jerry Lewis Telethon when she was a tween. After she graduated high school, she moved out to L.A. to continue pursuing singing and signed a record deal with Motown. Her self-titled debut album was released in 1987 when she was 24. And uh uh-uh, no, no, casual sex, part one was the opening track. The B-side to the single was Uh Uh-Uh, No No, Casual Sex Part 2, I really love saying that, which was not featured on the album and was a longer extended remix. Dom says he prefers the original version and wonders how this was not a huge hit and says he is still as obsessed with it now as he was in 1987. Dom, I have some questions. Anyways, Mm -hmm. (laughs) this song made it to number 38 on the dance chart and 65 on the R&B. Let's pause there, Joe, and talk about 
this song, which to be clear, I, you know, Carrie McDowell is a Caucasian woman. And so it was shocking to me to see that she was signed to Motown, but I guess she's got an R&B voice, but her image doesn't seem to have fit in with what they were doing. But this song, it's fine. I like the remix better just because it's so bonkers. But if I had heard this song, I wouldn't have liked it when I was a kid because I probably would have thought it was scandalous, but I don't think it's a good song. I don't know. What do you think? I, uh, yeah, I could not believe I've never heard of it, never heard of yes. this person. Uh, after listening to the song a few times, I'm somewhat shocked to discover that she was like a child singing phenom because I didn't think her voice was that great. Yeah. There were some moments of talk singing or, you know, fake rapping, whatever you want to call it. But even the moments of pure singing, I thought, oof, oh, oy, oy, oy. Um, but the song, it that doesn't mean it's not enjoyable. But like you said, you got to think about hearing this in 1987. Yeah. Hearing it now, I'm thinking not for me. After that one album, Carrie got married and left Motown. These days, she performs gospel and country music with her husband, which seems to fit much more. <laughs> and her Twitter is a real trip. It's supposedly her official Twitter, but all it talks about is this song and like some podcast she was on where she's talking about it. It's really wild. I also want to mention that this song was featured in a 1988 movie called You Can't Hurry Love about a guy using a video dating service to find love. And Joe, you have a very special report on You Can't Hurry Love, which is available on the Roku channel. <laughs> And when I sent that to you, did you know I sent it because of the song or had you not? I did not know that. No, I just thought (laughs) you sent it because I've talked about it before. This was a video that I think my neighbors had on videotape for some reason. And I remember we watched it a ton. It had David Leisure in it, you know, from Empty Nest and Joe Isuzu, (laughs) Sally Kellerman. I thought to myself last night when she appeared on screen, how as a 10-year-old boy did I know who Sally Kellerman was? (laughs) Uh, But I will say when Sally Kellerman comes in, I mean, she has a bit part, not a bit part, but the cast is nobodies, right? And then it says featuring appearances from Charles Grodin, Sally Kellerman, Christy McNichol. Yeah, I was confused when I looked at the IMDb and saw those people and was like, this seems like it should have been a legit movie, but it wasn't. I will say the scene, in case you ever watch it, the scene with Charles Grodin really ties into what we're talking about today on the podcast. And that's all I'll say about it in case anyone's seen it or not seen it. So I turned on the Roku channel. I don't watch too much on there. And I I turned it on and I noticed there was a voiceover anytime the credits appeared. Like, you know, You Can't Hurry Love or starring so-and-so. And it was in Spanish. I could not turn it off. There was no option. It said that Spanish was the only audio track. So I had to turn on the English closed captions. Oh, my God. I don't understand. That's so bizarre. Do you have Roku channel? No, I do not. I need someone to go out there and try to watch it and tell me if that happens to them. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah, you sent me a video of it. Because the video that you sent me was a man that was reading a note that had been left for him. But there was a voice that was reading the note. There was voiceover. And I was like, 
was there a voiceover in the movie and this is the Spanish actor doing that? Or are they literally reading everything that's happening on screen in Spanish? Do no. You know what I'm saying? Yes, it must have been <laughs> the first thing and now my brain hurts. Um, <laughs> also, there's a moment where one character says to the other, mi casa es su casa. And that part, I freaked out because I was like, wait, what? Wow, too much, too much. Did you get to the part where this is featured? Because you did say there was a song that had been taken out. Oh, I don't remember. And I only watched about an hour and 10 minutes so far. I was getting (laughs) late. Yeah. (laughs) But I don't remember hearing this song. But like I mentioned earlier, off the air, there were closed captions for the lyrics of Addicted to Love. And that song was not playing in the movie when those were appearing. So I think there were some songs that had to get taken out. This might have been one of them. Very strange. And why wasn't this song in the movie Casual Sex? Very good question. I don't know. Did that movie start? No, that was Leah Thompson and Victoria Jackson. Okay, because I was going to say, did that movie star Bridget Fonda too? It might have had a special appearance from Sally Kellerman. (laughs) All right, I've looked up while you were talking. I am thinking of Sally Kirkland. Who was nominated I don't even know who that for is. Best Actress in 1987 for the movie Anna. So that's what Did I she, yeah. listen, did she play the mom on Roseanne, the mom of David and the other guy? Um, I don't know. I'm on her Wikipedia now. I'm scrolling down to her filmography. No, she's not listed as being on Roseanne. Ugh. It's Sally Kirkland. That's who played their mom? Yeah. Oh, it's not listed on her. Is that who you just said? Yes. Oh, it's from 1992. I didn't go down far enough. Yeah, 1992 to 93, Barbara Healy, Roseanne. Correction. Yes, she was on Roseanne as Barbara yes. Healy. Yes. Oh, well, up next, uh, it's Scottish singer Jimmy Somerville, who was one of the few out music stars back in the 1980s. He started as a member of Bronski Beat and then left that group to form the Communards with Richard Coles. Coles was a classically trained pianist who had performed clarinet on some songs for Bronski Beat. They had a string of nine straight UK hits from 1985 to 1988. Don't Leave Me This Way was the third, and it went to number one. It was their only US Top 40 hit, but it peaked only at number 40. The third single from their second and final album was a song called For a Friend, written in honor of a friend of both Jimmy and Richard's, Mark Ashton. Ashton was a well-known gay activist who had formed the group Lesbians and Gays Support the Miners, which supported the striking UK miners in 1984. Mark died in February of 87 at the age of 26. For a Friend reached number 28 on the UK chart, and in 2014 it was used in the movie Pride, which was a fictional account of Mark's work with the miners. Never heard of that movie, but sounds interesting. I heard of the movie, and I've heard of this Mark Ashton was inspired 
to help the miners because suddenly he realized that the gay community was not being subjected to much by the police during this time. And it was a change. And he was like, what's going on? And suddenly realized that the police were focusing on the miners. And instead of just being like, okay, cool, let them deal with it. He was like, no, we have to come together to, for everyone that's being persecuted has to work together. And that's why this happened. And I didn't know that. That's amazing. I want to watch this movie now. Yeah. The song, Dom said he's never connected with it. It's pretty, but I don't think it communicates the sense of loss it's trying to convey. I felt the same way. I also had a hard think about Jimmy Somerville. I don't like when he sings in falsetto the whole time and there's like no break. (laughs) It's so high and it doesn't stop. It's relentless. And it's not, you know, good for you. You can hit those notes. That's great. I love that for you, but not for me. (laughs) I know. The thing, the specific thing that I thought about this morning was that I can't understand what he's saying a lot of the times. That's why I can't connect with this. There were certain times when I could hear the lyrics and understand them and they touched me. But for the most part, yeah, it just all kind of washed away because you couldn't even understand what he was saying. So I think that kind of is a detriment. I was moved by the lyrics, which I, yes, I had to look up, but I could see how that would be moving if that message gets across. But again, the singing actually didn't get it to me. Well, a year later, after the Communards had disbanded, Jimmy released a solo album. The third single was titled Read My Lips, Enough is Enough, and was a direct call for increased funding to prevent HIV and AIDS. song peaked at number 26 in the UK in March of 1990. It was reviewed by Tim Jeffrey in the Record Mirror at the time, and he said, we've gotten so used to Jimmy reinterpreting trashy disco songs in his in... I don't know how to say this word. Inimitable? Inimitable, yes. Fashion. (laughs) That this slightly more serious offering seems tame in comparison Quite rousing in an offbeat way, but somehow doesn't quite hit the mark. Ay ay ay. I thought it was interesting. We'll have to cover the record mirror sometime because this section of single of the week is divided into the single of the week, so I guess the best. Best axed minster. Huh? I have no idea what that means. High quality Wilton. Again, no idea. Huh? And Shag Pile which I Hmm. think I understand means the worst. (laughs) Yeah, that's my guess. (laughs) Read my lips. Dom says of this that he loves this disco anthem about the need for more HIV AIDS funding, especially that uplifting chorus. I did like this one more, but I do think, again, Jimmy Somerville is hard for me. I do think when his voice is paired with music like this, it's a better fit. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like this one a lot. And Dom is right because they're like, you know what? We need money. It's going to take money, right? Yeah. Don't beat around the bush. He obviously had more actual skin in the game. 
but everyone should have been talking like this and not just, you know, alluding to things. This is what was needed. But, you know, I think it took some time still, even after 1990. And, you know, even today, we're still fighting that disease. So it's not like Mm -hmm. it's not an issue anymore, although it's gotten much better. Thank you to Dom again for this topic. Great. It was really fun. Seems silly to say it was fun. (laughs) But we have to pick a favorite. I mean, mine's Boy Blue. 100% Boy Blue is the best of these. I'm trying to just look back. And I enjoyed finding out about the Carrie McDowell song, but it's really not a song I'm going to put on a playlist. But I do like having it in my back pocket as kind of a silly song to know about. Silly anthem. All right, Joe, I think that's it for this week. That's that, yeah. Well, um, we got to get back to resting up and catching up on rest from our (laughs) crazy weekend. Yeah, I still do feel like I'm catching up. Flew in on Friday, flew out on Sunday. I was trying to think if there was any other 80s-related items to discuss, but not really. Mm -hmm. All I can think of is we watched DJ Jake Rude's transmission on Friday night, which was that there was a darker wave set, and he gave us a shout-out. Mm-hmm. So here's a shout out to him. Mm-hmm. Let's keep 100%. it going. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Love DJ Jake Rude. So we had a great time. It was it was good to be with you, Joe, even for a short time. Saturday was a great day and a day that I will remember forever. All right. Well, I'll close it out, Joe. I'll say, you know, on this Thanksgiving day, I'm going to break from everything we've ever said before. And I'll just honestly tell everyone, you know what? Be thankful for whatever you can. If you don't celebrate American Thanksgiving, totally 100% get it. But um, when you hear this, take a moment and just think about all the things you have to be thankful for in your life. It's tough out here. We got to take each day, day by day and be thankful for what we can when we can. And another way you can say that is enjoy every turkey sandwich. 100%. Thanks for listening. Bye. Beach. Everybody had matching towels. Somebody went.